So hey, just real quick who I am. My name is Jesse. Uh, I am a Chi Alpha campus pastor. So I'm a missionary uh, to the University of Kent State University. So who has heard of Chi Alpha before just out of curiosity? That is awesome. <laughs> that is great. Yes. Uh, so my wife, Raylan, and I, we have been there about nine years now uh, with the golden flashes up there at Kent. And um, before that... Uh, I served in the like local church, and so I was living in Springfield, Missouri, and there was part of a large church, James River, and as part of the young adults college and career class, and so had a great experience there. Um, so I kind of come with about five, seven years over there of just experience in the local church, uh, and then before I went into Chi Alpha, and so a little bit of different perspectives there, uh, what we're talking about, and so. So yeah, um, I want to start off just with a question for you guys. Uh, get us kind of thinking. We're going to do some thinking today. It won't be too much, I promise. It won't be too hard. I know it's like getting late in the day. We're, our brains are fried, uh, but we're going to have a good time. Uh, really just want to ask, do we have a problem? Do we have a problem with, do we find it's difficult to get people in our communities to church? Who would say yes? Okay. Right. Yes. Uh, are you finding that? Uh, are you finding that as time goes on, people are less likely to seek out your church in your community? Okay. Why is that? I like interaction. So, what what are some reasons? Why is it challenging? People don't believe the Bible anymore. That's a huge one. I'm on campus. I, it's a book of fairy tales. Yeah, I saw a hand here. Yeah, make our own morality, our own. It's about me. What I'm going to do. My. We have a smorgasbord of things to create our own identities, who we want to be. Yeah, hands all over. Okay. So physically not going there, they're just online. Okay, good. Yeah. Families are busy. Long time, long time. <laughs> Can I, t- I just got to tell you a quick story. Not too long ago, I was walking around campus with a friend of mine, a Muslim student who became a Christian. I led him to the Lord. He's from Saudi Arabia. And we walked around and said to students, just at random, hey, who do you think Jesus is? Can I tell you that more than half of them responded in a way as if he was a, wasn't even a person in history? He's just an idea. Not even as if he was a person. Jesus wasn't even a person. It's just an idea. So you're, yeah, absolutely. I saw other hands. Oh, oh, that's huge, isn't it? Shouldn't shouldn't our churches be different than what everyone else is doing in culture? Way in the back. 
That's right. That's right. That's right. And take, pick and choose what you want from the Bible. Of course, you know, that, that doesn't happen very well with Jesus, right? You had to take it all. So, okay. Yeah, a couple more. Mm. Wow. They're not seeing the value. Yeah. Completely foreign to them. The idea of going to, why would I go to a church? What's, why? What for reason? Yeah, it's completely foreign to them. A couple more. Mm. We all know someone that's had that happen, right? I've got family that's happened to. It's been more than 20 years and I've gone back. Sir. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Misunderstand the gospel, don't they? Huh. All right. Mm. Overwhelmed. Yeah. Just the practical realities of life and needing to be with family and worn out. Just worn out. It's like another event to go, like, can I do this? You know? Alright, last one. Last one. I mean, horrific, sinful things happen, and trying to work through all of that. So there's, we've come up with a lot of different reasons, haven't we? There's lots of reasons. Everyone's story is unique, isn't it? Reasons why maybe they're not going to want to come to church. There's a lot of factors to that. I want to ask another question. Uh, who in here, show of hands, would say, you know who Billy Graham is? I'd say it's, like a, it's 100%, I think. Okay, would it surprise you that if I ask this question to my students in Chi Alpha, that more than half of them have no idea who Billy Graham is? No idea. No clue. Completely. <laughs> Who's that? No idea. Um, so we kind of get the sense that what people know about the Bible and about God, that that's changed, hasn't it? in probably the last 20 years. Significantly. I mean, I don't have to argue for that case. <laughs> uh, why do you think Billy Graham's Crusades are so effective? There's a lot of great stuff. So message prayer. Anyone can come. Do you think, do you say if it was in the gospel, do you think something like that kind of format would be as effective right now in our culture? No, and why not? Because we still pray, don't we? What's the change? So, so when you say foundation, you mean just maybe a lack of understanding from the of the Bible, 
maybe morality, right? So maybe some of the success of Billy Graham crusades were the fact that people kind of had some sense of terms of like sin and that the Bible could be a guide for life and things like that. one that really stuck were the ones that had that personal relational connection. And that's important. So things have uh, changed. In 2007, a book came out called Unchristian uh, by a man who is the leader of the Barna Group. Who Barna Group does lots of polling of Christian you know, trends and things like that. You guys have heard of him maybe. Uh, David Kinnaman. Anyone read Unchristian? Anyone? So what this was, almost now, what, 11 years ago, sort of a book that took data and came up with like the top six stereotypes of Christians from non-Christians. So people that aren't Christians, what do they think about when they think of the word Christian? What's, what are they getting? This is 11 years ago. Here's the top six. Uh, this will save you having to buy the book. Okay, so First one is hypocritical. Okay. The second one, uh, just get saved. That's all Christians care about is trying to get me saved. Another notch on the belt. This is what comes to mind. Uh, anti-homosexual. These are the top stereotypes of Christians. Sheltered. You know, living in your own little bubble. Don't really, aren't connected to reality. Sheltered. Too political. <laughs> and judgmental. How are we supposed to be known <laughs> for, right? What, where's the love and where's the, the, you know, the things that we want to be known for, right? So this was 11 years ago that, that people's view and concept of what it is to be a Christian is very far, very different from, you hear those things and think, yeah, I'm, I'm those things. We're not those things, are we? If you're following Jesus, we're not those things. And we want to be the opposite of those things. So this, this book brought that out. I want to uh, highlight a book that came out just last summer called Meet Generation Z. Meet Generation Z. Uh, this is, I'm just giving these things because if, you, if you're someone that likes data and numbers instead of just like gut feelings, we, we talked a lot. We raised our hand and said, this is, this is why people aren't coming, but there's data, okay? And so there's some books out there you can, you can go to. This is by James Emery White, who's a, uh, he's a pastor, a professor, uh, author of more than 20 books. This book is really about the generation that's coming after the millennials. And so they're called the rise of the nuns. So, you know, if you get a poll or something, it says, what religion are you? Are you spiritual? And they check none. That, that demographic is skyrocketing in our country. It is on the rise. There's, there's no spiritual identity they, they associate with. Just none. Just none. The book has lots of great data in it. I'm just referencing it to you, recommending it to you if you want to get more than a gut feeling about the fact that things have changed in our country um, regarding church and coming to church. So problem does problems there. Increasingly, people are less interested in coming to where we are. And um, let's talk about what to do with that. <laughs> so I went to a Bible college. 
and learned how to do church. I was part of a church that was a, a large, thriving church of more than 7,000 people at the time. And I thought I understood how, you know, how to do ministry. And I came to Kent State uh, after doing a two-year internship at Missouri State. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go right ahead. Um, and I was, the, my model, my paradigm for understanding how to do ministry was kind of like, if you build it, they will come. Little, you guys know the old movie, If You Build It, They Will Come. <laughs> so for, for the first term of our, of our ministry at Kent State, uh, we tried to build it. And like we made the coolest service. Man, I spent a lot of time my, my, uh, making really funny videos. You know, I had slick, like we had a good worship team together. You know, they, were, they were well rehearsed. Um, I put all kinds of time into my sermon uh, each week, make sure I had some great jokes in there, you know, and really engaging and inspirational. Uh, we kind of, we built it, but they weren't coming. They weren't coming. And so God really started us on this journey. Uh, you remember that whole thing, the Great Commission, Matthew 28? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. It's like, I'm the boss. I'm the one in charge. What am I telling you? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That kind of is rolling around in my head a lot. And the Holy Spirit just started us on this journey of, are we doing that? Are we actually making disciples? Are we fulfilling the Great Commission? Are we doing the thing that our Master told us to do? As I'm editing a cool video, <laughs> as I'm polishing up my sermon, is this, really, is this really connecting with me making disciples in this place? We were building it, but they weren't coming. And so we had to shift from attractional thinking to a missional mindset. Missional thinking. So we're going to do a little exercise here. And I'm sorry I couldn't erase all that because I want to, I want to use the board here a little bit. So this is something that you can do in your, in your context. Everyone can do this in your community. Um, but we're going to kind of break down our community in four, four categories, okay? So number one, you can write this out however you want, but number one is the committed Christian, Okay. I'm just going to say CC. The committed Christian is the person that is looking to come to church. They love Jesus. They're following him. They're a committed Christian. They're trying to figure out, where am I going to go to church? Where am I going to go and, and do this thing? Where's the body I'm going to get involved in? Committed Christian, okay? So be thinking about your context, your community, and almost like what percentage of your community, if you had to guess, would fall into that category of committed Christian. Number two is the open. They're open. So this is the person that, if you invite them to church, they probably come. Uh, you know, maybe they show up on like Christmas and Easter. They're open. Maybe they've got you know a family member that that knows that they're spiritual. They know about Jesus, so they're open to the idea of it. But they're not really seeking you out. But they're open to it. They're open to it. The third one, uh, we're going to call them indifferent. They're indifferent. Kind of like, actually we'll call them meh. You know what I'm talking about? You can talk to somebody about church or Christianity and, and, and like, eh, whatever. I think someone said it over here, I can't remember who it was, but it's like, hey, you got your thing. You, you do that, I'll do my thing. All right? You understand I'm talking that's the kind of person that will fall in that category. That's good for you. And the last category is the uh, hostile. 
I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> the person that maybe is uh, atheist, Do this, take, take these four categories, you're thinking about your community, just draw a better circle than this. And now try to put in the percentages how your community falls. Okay, so go and do that right now. You don't have to do that. Think about, think about this, your church and the kind of area around your church. What would it be like? How would that break down? Depends how long that's been. There we go. Good. So, what are some numbers? Who who wants to go? <laughs> What'd you guys have for committed Christian? Twenty percent. Twenty-five. What other numbers? Ten percent. Okay. Thirty percent. Fifteen. So at, in my context, on campus at Kent State, we put that at about 3%. Yeah, <laughs> you're telling me. <laughs> and this is a campus of 30,000. Okay, so what about now those, what about the second category? Who's open? Who's open? 30%? 40%? 20? Okay. 15 in my context, can say about 17%. So, what is that, like this maybe? So open. Okay, and now, uh, what about the third category there? They're, these are the ones that are indifferent. They're just like, eh, whatever. Uh, Kent State, we've got it about. I've got about seventy-five percent. This is the majority of our campus. So the remainder there is uh, whatever the remainder is. The, is the hostile? Uh, we've got about five percent as hostile, I'd say, on our campus. So now, if you're having a hard time and you, like you want to actually test this out and figure out how you know where do we get these numbers, get out in your community and just talk to people. Right? You can just say, hey, I'm just doing some my own research. Um, I'd be interested here. What do, you, what do you think about Jesus? And guess what? You're going to start to figure out how close your numbers are to what you're guessing. Okay, You might be surprised. So set a number. Maybe you talk to you know 20 people or something. You just see how that breaks down for you. And you'll start to get some feedback about where people fall into these categories. Uh, this, for me, was really eye-opening. Uh, because this is telling me we've got a lot of people on our campus that really need Jesus. And hopefully you can start to see that breakdown for your own community, for your own context. Let me give you one more thing that was really important for me. It's called just the cultural distance scale. So I'm going to draw it real quick. It's just a line.
Okay. So, what this scale is going to show us is um, there's some barriers that we have as Christians to sharing the gospel with someone effectively. You know what I mean with that? There's some significant, very real things that when we meet somebody that are there that, that are a barrier to us actually sharing the good news with them. And so we can think about this strategically about how far along somebody is on that scale. So each one of those, I have it labeled M0 to M4. And the further to the right they get, it's, a more barrier, it's another barrier they have to actually be able to understand the gospel. So in my context, I'll share. Let's say I'm walking around campus, I meet a Chinese student. There's some significant barriers to me sharing the good news of Jesus with them. What could be some barriers? Language is one, so that puts them in one right away. Culture is another one, right? He's maybe Buddhist, and so that or uh, so that's another barrier. So how about um, history? Perhaps maybe the only experience he's had with a Christian has been a negative one. He wants nothing to do with Christians anymore, right? And so each person you meet. There's these significant barriers to the gospel. What are some other ones that could be in someone's life? It's like worldview, religion, history, yeah. Um, so there's, there's just different, different things that move them along. So here's, so think about this. Where on this scale do you think most ministries, most churches are set up at? They're probably they're probably here. Okay. A lot of times we, we have people that are in our churches that are a lot like us. Same moral background, maybe even same ethnicity. Is that true for you guys? I mean, do, are people a lot of our churches are pretty similar. So just think about it for a minute, like if we've got people around us that are like out here at M2 and M3 and M4, we're asking them to cross the barriers to come to us. We're saying come to our turf. Come to where we are. We got the news. You need to hear. What is that? It's like reverse missions, isn't it? And so... I think we got to start thinking about it a little differently about how we approach. So like this, in my context, a lot of the campus ministries were competing for what, what part of the pie? <laughs> 3%. So all the work and all the effort was into trying to have this attractional thing, and we're all fighting for the smallest sliver of the pie. What's going on here? I mean, God just had to really work in our hearts and say, we need to structure ourselves in a way that we can start to reach out to the majority, the rest of this, the rest of this pie. And so we're going to talk some more about how that actually looks here, but it's about having a missional mindset. Where instead of expecting them to come to us, we're going to go to them. Instead of them being, you know, instead of them coming and being uncomfortable on our turf, we're going to go to where they are at. You guys tracking with me on this yet? Yeah, is, is this interesting? Or is it, I don't know. <laughs> For me, when I when I when God kind of brought this stuff along, I just um, this is a paradigm shift. I had 
might change from attractional to missional. <laughs> We're going out. And so that's what really, what do we do then to keep people from us? Here's what I think the answer is. We need a strategy that is both missional and multiplying. This is kind of big picture thinking. We need a strategy that is both missional and multiplying. Jesus said, Matthew 28, go therefore make disciples all the time. So this making of disciples, disciples uh, it's not something that's left up to the professionals, is it? It can't be. If you're just thinking, well, my pastor's going to do it, we're perfectly designed to get the results that we're getting right now. Aren't we? Yes, sir. Missional and multiplying. We're going to talk about those two things, missional and multiplying. Uh, it's got to be, you know, this, this response to Jesus telling us to, commanding us to go make disciples. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, as people who say Jesus is Lord, he's the one in charge. We have got, I think, to come to this place where we have an individual responsibility, but a corporate strategy. So individual responsibility for every single one of us. But a corporate strategy where we're not just going by ourselves, we're going together. Kind of like a missional community going to where people are. So just uh, think about this for a moment. What if we take like Jesus' people that are representing the values of the kingdom, the good news, what if we take them and together we go to where others are? If they're not going to come to us, why don't we go to them? Together. Together. And so I just want to talk about a little bit here uh, with the time that we've got today, some some specifics with that. So this thing of missional uh, strategy, there's a lot with that. I think the very first thing we've got to understand, though, is the gospel. (laughs) We've got to become enamored with, uh, overwhelmed with, consumed with the good news of Jesus. The answer is not in any one of us, but it's in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The gospel, it's the ways and truths of Jesus. The way Jesus lived his life, the truths that, that Jesus taught us, this is good news for us. And the good news isn't just something that happened a long time ago. The good news is happening right now. Jesus is good news for our lives right now today. The way Jesus lived, it affects the way we, we, our identities, the way we view ourselves. It affects the way we work. It affects the way we eat. It affects our relationships. It affects uh, how we uh, navigate conflict. This is good news for us. This is great. This is the most incredible news we could ever have. You're not working for your own honor because you already have all the honor in the world because you're a son of, of the living God. You're a daughter of the living God. Not because of something you've done, because of who you are. The good news of Jesus, the more that we can understand why Jesus is good news and begin to speak that truth to each other, that's going to position us to start to help other people understand the good news. But how can we help someone understand the good news if we don't know it yet ourselves? I've heard someone say before that um, discipleship or growing in Jesus is, is moving from unbelief to belief. Moving from unbelief to belief about the ways and truths of Jesus. And so, we have to understand the good news. 
it also starts with this shift in thinking where I'm not going on mission, but I'm always on, I'm always on mission. Mission is something you go do, it's the way you live. Because you can be on mission when you're going to Walmart. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You can be on mission when you're going to, you know, go have lunch somewhere. You can be on mission at work. You can be on mission, you know, at the gym. You can be on mission. Everywhere you go, all of life can be used as mission because Jesus is Lord of all. And so he wants to use all the stuff that we do to help point others to him. So mission isn't something we go do. It's, it's part of that's how we live. It's missional lifestyle. So how could some of this look? I want to give just uh, some real practical stuff here, some examples of missional uh, strategy. This idea of going to people. Uh, have you heard of third places before? Are you guys familiar with that idea? If you don't, the idea is that we have our first place is like our home where we live, spend a lot of time there. The second place is kind of like where we work at. Or go to school, something like that. The third place then is that other like public place that we just kind of exist. And so it could be like a coffee shop. For some people, it's a bar, bowling alley, a church, third places. And so one of the things that we can start to do in this thing of us going to people is figure out where are the people. <laughs> do you know where the people are in your community? Where are they hanging out at? Mall? I don't know. So understanding what are the third places that exist around your church. Not too far from you guys. Proximity is important for relationships. Where are those third places at? And so you want to start to identify what those places are. I'll give you an example of how this can work. So uh, we, had, we did that on campus. There's a Starbucks. If you've ever been to Kent. Who's been to Kent? Anyone been to Kent? Oh, yeah. All right. So you guys know there's, there's a Starbucks right there. We kind of made that, uh, we identified as a third place, and we started a bunch of us going together consistently, just hanging out, trying to meet people throughout the week and, and connecting with them. So here's a shift in thinking. One of the things that we did to represent the kingdom and the values of the kingdom is we want to bless people. And so a friend of ours had a birthday. My wife, Raylynn, uh, she can make desserts like none other. I mean, she's she's made wedding cakes and all kinds of stuff. She's... This is why I have to run a lot to, you know, stay, try to stay healthy. Um, so she, she makes this cake for a friend, but instead of making a cake for, you know, 20, 30 people, she makes a cake for like 80 people. Shows up to Starbucks, and I don't know how, all the employees are there, fine with it. We, we gave the employees a bunch of cake and said, hey, happy birthday. Everyone celebrated the birthday in the place. We just showed up with the cake, and so we're there to bless. We just blessed everybody, brought everybody into that celebration. Okay, now that starts to hit onto something else that we can look for, and that is just called rhythms of life. What are the rhythms of life of humans? <laughs> what do we all do just because we're human? What are some stuff? What are some things we do? We eat. We eat food because we're human. Christian, non-Christian, we do it. What else? What are some other rhythms of life that happen in your community? Weddings, exercising. Doctors, yeah, absolutely. Shopping, sport. Okay, so there's, there's natural rhythms of life. And when we start talking about being more missional and going to people instead of them coming to us, we identify third places, but we also identify rhythms of life. 
Because guess what? We don't have any more time to give, do we? But can you do things that people are already doing? And that's not adding any more time to you. Think about just eating food. Will you eat three times today, probably? So you add that up, that's 21 opportunities in a week that you could potentially sit down with somebody and have do life with them a little bit. That can be a discipling moment. Have you ever had a conversation over lunch that someone said something and it, it radically transformed you? Like, it impacted you. You moved from unbelief to belief about Jesus, about something very important, and that changed your life. I've experienced that. I've had someone speak into my life, and it was, it was impactful. Changed the direction of my life. Truth about Jesus. So we have these rhythms of life that we can identify that just people are doing in your community. They're doing in the third places. So when we're going to the third places and we're figuring out the rhythms of life, something else we're looking for is people of peace. People of peace. This comes from Luke chapter 10. Jesus sends out the 72. He says, when you go out, you're going to come to a place, and if there's a person of peace there or a son of peace, forget how it's worded exactly. You can look it up. It's like verses 5 and 7. <coughs> Let your peace rest on them. And he says, basically, stay with them, right? Don't, don't keep going all over the place. This is huge. Identify who the people of peace are in your life. Who is God putting into your life that are, that are open to you, even after they know you're a Christian? How many of you had, you know, been hanging out with somebody and they find out you're a Christian? They're like, oh, see you later. <laughs> Relationship's done. But a person at peace is somebody that even once they find out you're a Christian, they're still wanting to hang out with you. Or they're kind of like leaning into relationship a little bit. That's kind of an indicator to us that, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. God's put this person in my life for a reason. This is a person of peace. That's the person that you start praying for. That's the person you start taking out to eat with. That's the person that you're investing your time and effort into. Because God's wanting to do something in their life. And so you might meet your... When we're going to these third places, and we're looking for the rhythms of life, we're praying, God, lead me to the people of peace. Help me to see, Holy Spirit, who are the people of peace. And, and you know, I mean, you meet somebody, some people you don't connect with real well, but there's also people you connect with right away instantly, isn't there? And so God is wanting us to go together, we do this together, to these third places, and we find these people of peace. Uh, one, more, one more thing with this that's important for the missional strategy is uh, some of the people of peace will be what we call gatekeepers gatekeepers into a larger community. Sometimes you meet somebody and it's like they're just really well connected, aren't they? They just, like, we walk around with them and they're like, they know everybody. Hey, it's just everywhere you go, they're getting stopped and shaking hands and they're just that kind of, they're like a gatekeeper. There's a student on campus, uh, his name was TJ, and I connected with TJ. Uh, we had lunch together and he didn't want to have anything to do with me for like a year. <laughs> And then I kept running into him and started pursuing him. He actually had, like, he was, a, he, was a, um, he was a wrestler for Kent State. Ends up getting a MRSA staph infection. Has a, uh, goes to the hospital. Has a near, near death life, you know, how's that go? It's late. Near death experience. <laughs> near death experience. Almost dies in the hospital. Spends like four or five days in there with MRSA. He lives, and all of a sudden he's really open to me now. <laughs> And so we start hanging out. We're doing life together. He's definitely a person of peace now. Um, he wasn't then, but he is now. And, and we're just, I'm really investing in him, praying for him. End up 
being able to lead him to the Lord in Christ. Like he becomes a follower of Jesus, pray with him in my car one day after lunch. It was awesome. Um, but TJ was a gatekeeper to a community of about 15, 20 guys that played basketball every Friday morning on the campus. And so TJ and I started hanging out on Friday. We, he invited me to come play basketball with all these guys. And so for that, for like about a year, no, about six months, half a, like a semester, every Friday morning I'm out playing basketball with these guys I would have no contact with other than that TJ is a gatekeeper who brought me into that community. Are you starting to see how this can work a little bit? Imagine if a group of you got together and you went to the pastor and said, hey, pastor, we just want to try going to this place and start trying to represent the kingdom there. And what if you commit to doing like, and there's a whole process you can go through to develop a strategy, a plan for this, but you started going there and you're just trying to bless people. You're just trying to serve people. You're just trying to meet people and figure out what are the needs of this place? What are the things that I can do to really to bless and serve and represent Jesus here? Because they're not, they're not maybe coming here, but we can go there and represent the kingdom together. And it can be a lot of fun. You can have fun doing this with your friends, going there together. And imagine you're praying together, you're committed together, you're doing this together as a team. You're praying, God, lead us to the people of peace. God, lead us to the gatekeepers so that we can begin to have them experience what the gospel is in community. And so there's a, a missional strategy that we have to, I think, begin to adopt as we engage the community around us. And this is done at 3 o'clock? 3.15, okay, awesome. So now real quick, just the multiplying part. Of, or actually, let me pause. Any questions about, I know it's like a lot of new terms, probably. Um, thoughts or questions? I, yes, sir. Oh yeah. I think again, it's the same. It's the same type of thing. So, okay, I'll do another scale. This one, the zero is in the middle. Negative 10 is here, and positive 10 is here. So zero is the point of conversion. So maybe this hostile person, and there's numbers all through. 10 numbers here, whatever that is. Okay, it's getting later, so. Maybe the hostile person, he's like, really, there's a lot of barriers to the gospel. So he's like, neg- you know, he's like negative nine, really hostile, okay? And really far from this, this moment of conversion. Paul says, you know, one plants, one waters, another reaps a harvest. And so we can't expect to, in like one conversation, to just sort of have this person, oh yeah, I'm going to come to Christ right away. <laughs> but I think we have to look at, can we just move them along the scale? Can you as a Christian live in such a way with that person that's going to cause them to think, wait a minute, I thought I had Christians all figured out. But you just did something that makes me think again. You just did something that made me say, you know what, maybe, maybe I was wrong about Christians. He might, not go to, he might not go to a point of conversion right away, but he might go to negative eight just because you, every day you're smiling at him and say, hey, how you doing? You know, I, I don't know. Maybe you may get him to move through a conversation to negative, you know, negative six. And so I think that we've got to start to celebrate 
the fact that, that someone's moving along in this journey, and we're just part of that, and we're just investing in that. And so, I think also, by the way, discipleship happens even around negative 10, negative 9. We've always, I, I grew up thinking discipleship just happened at the point of conversion. But we're, weren't there things before you came to Christ that weren't true that you believed about him? And if, if discipleship is growing, growing from unbelief to belief about Jesus, didn't that happen before you became a Christian? And so there's people all around you that you can begin discipling them before they even make a commitment to follow Christ. But I think just, again, it's that process. It's a process that, that everyone's on. And we can contribute to that. You know, We can be a part of that positive impact moving along in Jesus. Uh, any other thoughts on that? Yeah. Yes. That's right. Sure. 
It's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We don't know where they're at. That's right. Yeah. He may have been a negative one. And you could have had, I mean, who knows, maybe in a month or so someone comes along and, but he's not like a person of peace to me. So, you know what I'm saying? Like he just, that connection, you're able to speak that truth to him. So, Good, that's good. Good. Any more? Uh, any more questions on that? Multiple. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. No, no one's. Amen. Amen. God help us. Because you know what, I found that a lot of people may go much of their lives never really having experienced their true friend or someone that really cares about them. And so when they actually experience a Christian who is living out the ki- the values of the kingdom, it's it's going to cause them to go, "What?" Like it's going to make them think about what's going. There's something different about the way you're living your life because we shouldn't be living like everyone else in the world. There's something about us that makes them pause and go. I don't know what's going on here. We, we got to hang out some more. You know, I got, I just want to get this last bit here. Um, cutting a lot of stuff out actually. So let me talk about multiplying real quick. The idea is that we want to make disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. So you don't go, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Every follower of Jesus to really be a follower of Jesus needs to do what? Make disciples. That's what he told us to do. Matthew 28. We should be making disciples. And in that, when we make a disciple, we have to teach other people to make a disciple as well. So really what we're making is disciplers. Make disciplers. And so think about this. Um, I love this analogy from Alan Hirsch. Alan Hirsch is a eminent missiologist and strategist with all of this. He talks about 
in the seed is the DNA for a forest. Isn't there? Because if you have a seed you plant, you get a tree, and a tree makes more seeds, and from the seeds you get a forest. Inside every Christian, every follower of Jesus is the DNA. You have the DNA to start a whole church, to start a church, start a movement. Because if you, if you, and the gospel is changing your life, and we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and we're out looking, we can make other followers of Jesus who then make other followers of Jesus, and it goes on and on and on. That's what Jesus modeled to us. That's what he did. That's what he showed, taught his, uh, his disciples to do. That's what he's teaching us to do. I want you to think about that. Imagine if uh, one person goes out and in this next year finds five people to to disciple faithfully. Just five people. And what that person is doing, the only thing is when they disciple those five people, then they're teaching each of them that they need to do the same thing next year. So what do you have next year? So year one, you're going to have, you'll have six because there's the original discipler plus five, so that's six. So what happens year, next year though? If they, if they all do that, what happens next year? Oh, where's my notes at? I wrote it down somewhere. Here it is. I did the math. I did the math. Because you're going to, you're going to multiply that by five for each person. So you're going to have 36. Because you have the original six that went out and got five more, and they taught them the same thing. So year three, the 36 then changes into 216 people. If we can faithfully disciple just five people in a year, the 216 in year four turns into 1,296. If we keep doing that math, uh, year five, turns into 7,776. Year 6, 46,656. That covered my campus, by the way. I don't know how big your community is, but year 7 would be 279,936 people. And all it takes is one person saying, I'm going to find five people this year, and I'm going to disciple them faithfully. And so uh, there's this thing of, not addition, not, not growth by addition, but multiplication. That's what I'm talking about. We need a strategy that is both missional and multiplying. And so I just want to, in Chi Alpha, what we do, we do core groups. And we take a, we take a student who's been in our group for about a, a year, and they have leadership potential. And right now we're doing it right now. We've got six students we're training. We call it leadership training class. It's a retreat and several weeks of classes. We're teaching them how to be core group leaders. And what's going to happen this August when the semester starts up, we're going to unleash these trained students to go on campus and find, we're actually going to challenge them to make 25 new contacts. So that means on there, they're going to be going to hang out at games. They're going to meet all kinds of freshmen. They're going to be getting their phone numbers, names and numbers. Those 25 are going to shake down a couple people apiece, maybe 10 people. And from that, they're going to start a core group. And that core group is going to meet, and they're going to, it's called, we call find, find, feed, and fight. That's what we do on campus with students. Find, feed, and fight. We get out there, we're finding students. We find them, we, we feed them. We help disciple them. And we fight for them. We don't let the devil just have them. If they want to pull away from community, we go after them, man. We're going to chase them down. 
right? And so from that group, then what happens? We get more leaders. You see how it's a, it's a missional strategy and one that also multiplies. One that also multiplies. Um, okay. More questions or thoughts about any of this? You can't do discipleship unless you're in community. There's no way. It's impossible. You've got to have a healthy, you've got to have, a, I think, a discipling community. And that's that's the answer to us as a church, I think, <laughs> impacting this nation again, is that we create discipling communities that are going to people and are are bringing them into the a place they can experience the gospel. You know, uh, it's one of those situations where we need to be led by the Spirit, isn't it? Because every single person's at a different place. And, and there's certain things that are valuable to other people that aren't to others. And so, just like our approach to a Buddhist would be different than our approach to someone who's, you know, grown up in Ravenna or something, you know, or in Cleveland. And so, uh, those entry points come through relationship. And so this takes an investment on our part. Uh I would say the typical entry point for a college student for us is identity um, because identity is what drives so many people, identity in something else other than Jesus. And so we really talk a lot about, um, about that and so how Christ satisfies uh, that identity. And so, but honestly, it can just be, it's all kinds of conversations. Um, sin, sin issues come up a lot. And so we just talk about freedom. We talk about, um, uh, there's uh, the top two emotional issues on our campus are depression and anxiety. And so we'll talk often about how Jesus, uh, he's hope and how he, he's the things about Jesus, the ways and truths of Jesus. It's not just rhetoric, it's reality. It's not just a well-constructed philosophical thing, but it's, we experience that. We experience the, the good news of Jesus. And so we talk about how Jesus has been good news to us right now, and we share that. But I think a lot of it is, is also more than our words. It's the experience they have as they're in our community, and they see how we treat each other. That's why I said we've got to go together, because we're, we're, we're demonstrating to them something different that they don't get anywhere else. That's why we've got to go together to where they're at. You can't just go one person. I mean, you can, but to effectively do it, I think you've got to go together and you're showing them how we live together. And it's different than what they've experienced. And that, that demonstration makes people go, what? 
and what more? Right, yeah, it's great. That's great. That's so great. That'll stick with them, won't it? Maybe their whole life until someone else comes along and waters it, you know? think a big part I think we do really well if we just learn how to be friends again <laughs> can we just can we just be really good friends to people no matter where they're at give you a few books real quick and I'll get to you. If you're interested in more on this, um, really formative books. So especially for like maybe a pastor who's wanting to go from an attractional model to more missional model, uh, a book called Wiki Church by Steve Morell. Wiki Church. Um, Saturate by Jeff Vanderstelt. Uh, Jeff Vanderstelt was part of a large church and then he left to create the Soma community and uh, he's in Washington, and they've got many years of experience doing this. Uh, Small is Big, Slow is Fast by Caesar Kalinowski. That's really great for families, helping your family live on mission together. Uh, really practical stuff that you can do. He's also got a lot of great resources online like YouTube, just Caesar Kalinowski. Small is Big and Slow is Fast. He has several books out. Um, and then a really small one, it's like maybe four or five bucks on Amazon, it's called Surprise the World. Uh, Surprise the World, and it's Habits of Highly Missional People. I might have the subtitle wrong, but something like that. It's Habits of a, of a missional, um, uh, missional People. 